sort of. There we go. There's the music. All right. Welcome to the big story. Um, I'm Alex Morrissey. Feeling great. Feeling strong. I got a cup of tea. It'll get me through the day. Today we have Rory McConville. Popper. Writer extraordinaire. Um, and you're in London? I am, yeah. I know I'm a bit of a traitor. No. Who, uh, left Ireland and went over to London. Yeah, well, you, you just, you, I, I, I wish I was more familiar with the, uh, the the soccer league and I would say, oh, because you just love Crystal Palace or something. <laughs> Chelsea. You, I mean, that's, Chelsea that's, uh, no, actually, I'm, I'm horrifically, my, I'm very much the black sheep in my family. There's a lot of sports lovers, but I'm not one of them. Yeah. It's funny. Like I, I was like, I grew up in a, in a sports house and sports was like a big thing big into American football, um, not very big into uh, baseball. Mm. And, but again, I watched like, I watched soccer and baseball through like the nineties. And then like Michael Jordan retired. I'm like, ah, kind of <laughs> done with kind of done with basketball. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I just stopped, I just stopped watching American football after a while. Um, I did get into watching uh, your football, AKA soccer, which yeah. I do really do enjoy. Um, but it, they make it incredibly hard to watch it here in the States. Like there's, forget the time difference. It's just this whole, you gotta have, you can't, you can't have ESPN. You have to have ESPN plus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I just want to watch some games, you know, or match. I, I, I might be wrong, but I think they're getting to that point over here as well in terms uh, of needing you to. It's. It's the death of a thousand cuts. This is, mm. this is just the age that we live in. It's the death of a thousand cuts. So I've uh, succumbed to my annual uh, fee for Formula One, and I watch that. <laughs> so it's sport, but you know, nobody, we know it, yeah. nobody's running around. <laughs> they're just they're all rushing to try to get that that good parking space at the end of the end of the race. Yeah, I've never. It's interesting. I never really understood the appeal of formula one until recently when i was talking to a friend of mine who's very into it and they were just yeah. explaining all the mechanics and the fact that you can listen in to what's happening while it's going and yeah kind of sold sold it I, I i could potentially be converted to formula one i think now yeah no it's 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 a it's it's got it's got a thing so um yeah and it's you know it's, if you're going to watch auto racing you might as well watch that because all the rest of it is you know not nearly as well done so yeah yeah so what, the, what is it uh six seven there six it is half six yeah okay. all right well nice so um rory you come to us you know through great pedigree um <laughs> with declan and joe so that's uh that was a really nice introduction to have that to have those two guys um and uh so if anybody can't tell you're Irish, but you're living in London, um, how long have you been there? Um, I've been, well, I came over here originally in 2013 for about three years. And then myself and my girlfriend went to Canada for two years. Oh, wow. We did a year in Vancouver and a year in Toronto. Hmm. And then we came back. So then that was probably 20... 2018 um and we've been here since nice so. uh qu quick quick what do you what what did you like and dislike about uh vancouver and toronto um i think let me okay vancouver very nice place i think particularly if you have a lot of money but i think you could probably say that at most places um, <laughs> i living in london yeah yeah <laughs> it's i'm very Really enjoyed all the outdoorsy stuff you could do in Vancouver. Um, what did I not like? I think the kind of general vibe of the place was a bit more like a retirement village than I would have liked. Sure. No offense to everyone in Vancouver. I like it. Yeah. Um, Toronto. I think I prefer Toronto. Probably, I'm probably more of a big city person. Yeah. At heart. Um, but yeah, I mean. The fact that we didn't stay there probably tells you that we didn't. Did you go to the city or did you go to the country? Sorry, say that again. 
throughout the city or in the country? Uh, well, I mean, we've I grew up in a city, but like an Irish city is compared to most US cities, I'd say is uh, a fragment, probably probably as big as a couple of streets in an American city. Okay. My wife, um, she's Irish, and she's a artist. So she did a residency um, in Ireland two years ago, I think it was three years ago. I don't know. This the, the pandemic has sort of wiped my my slate clean of when things happen in the yeah. world. But um, so she, yeah, she, so she enjoyed. Did you find it inspirational for your writing being in these different places? Um. I suppose probably on some level, like I don't think I could tell you a specific thing um, that would like say inspired a particular story, but I think, yeah, definitely going to other places and meeting other people is unquestionably helpful for writing. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that that is true because like, I mean, if you stay sort of in the same locate, locale, by the way, what tea are you drinking? Uh, green tea, green jasmine tea. I'm, ha I'm having berries. So All yeah. right, wow. Yeah. Um, that that came that came back from the uh, the the artist residency. She came back with berries. So. Right, right. Um, yeah, but it's like it is interesting because like where you wherever you sort of like call home, while there's a, a quite a range of human beings in that space, they're all kind of there. There's a similarity that they all share because yeah. of because of geography um, and culturally. So when you get to go that traveling route, you do get to see these sort of this whole new sort of like skin on humans you're like oh this is kind of cool or yeah <laughs> that's not cool um and then there, there's also those like weird little intersections between different uh like the, you, you see bits that are totally different but then you see oh i know that i've met that type of person before at home mm -hmm. um and now they're here they're just in a slightly different uh yeah. guise Right, the accent's different. Maybe the maybe the cap mm. they're wearing is different, but there's yeah. a it's the same thing. That's it. Yeah, no, it's it. I mean, it's kind of cool, and I think you know. I mean, I know from for me, like when I do travel, like I do really find a lot of story inspiration. I I mm. I, I bank a lot of where I go. Like it's funny, I don't take a lot of pictures. I never have. Like I've just never been a picture taker. Really? Yes, but yeah. I take, I take all this stuff in. And it just kind of sits there, you know, in in this sort of sort of this bin inside, and uh, and then the stories kind of like go, oh, you know, it'd be really kind of cool, like because I don't know, I mean, I always try to find like what the uh, we always go searching for like the the old stuff, you know, because mm. then when you find the old stuff, you find sort of like the mythology behind, you know, of, of the, you know, in that culture of the time when they made the old stuff. So like when yeah. we were in Scotland, like we hunted down these picked forts you know like we're in the middle of like nowhere you know and they were just but they're magical you know and you're like oh this is there's something cool happening here so you kind of go okay well i'm just gonna stow that away and do you out of curiosity do you just store that in your head or do you write it down or a little bit of both um mm -hmm. i try to journal when i when i travel that way like there is some sort of record of what i've been doing or where i where i went um yeah worked out really well for paris because we we lost all the pictures we took for paris so that was a that was a real heartbreaker um, what, was it the camera what, what how, how did that come about um it, we had a digital camera at the time and i brought it to work i downloaded onto a, all the images onto a disc and mm. gave my wife a disc and somehow between either my putting it on the disc and bringing it to her or my handing it to her and somewhere it disappeared in the, in the chain of uh, possession. So all we have are our memories. It's funny how that just made me think like how much harder it is to properly lose stuff nowadays or in that regard, just with everything being stored in the cloud and stuff like, yeah. Um, and how that changes. Right. Cause this, this would have been 2008. Mm. Yeah. So this is 2008. So, the iPhone wasn't the best digital camera you could take a picture with. So yeah. the Olympus was a better camera. So you took the pictures on the Olympus or the Canon or whatever the thing was. And then you move, you know, so yeah, because the iPhone pictures were just pretty rudimentary <laughs> at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't think the cloud was really a thing then. Like, I don't think everything was uploaded at the time. No, and pro yeah, probably not 
as automatically as it is now. I know it's crazy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's cool. You know, it's terrifying and cool at the same time, all in the same time. Yeah, I get these uh, Google notification things on my phone just being like, you know, the second you leave a restaurant asking you to leave a review and kind of showing you paths you've walked three years ago and stuff like that. Oh. Yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, you missed this restaurant three years ago. You were just yeah. half a block away. Um, so that sounds like an American siren. Are you sure you're not in America? Uh, no, pretty sure. I think that's... Okay. An ambulance, maybe. Okay, or maybe. possibly a police. We, I do live near a police station, so it might be a police okay. car as well. So, do you? I mean, do you have any writing practices? Like, I mean, like I said, like I, I journal when I travel. Um, do you have like, any daily writing practice that's outside of sitting and writing the stories that you're you're working on? Um, I do try and journal sometimes. I kind of go through periods of doing it, and then I fall back out of them again. Yeah. But those would be like I'd have a similar, I suppose, like this would be related to stories, but I would kind of, you know, have a Google Docs folder that's just a dump of like any kind of thoughts or kind of things you come across in daily life that you think might be fodder. Yeah. Or something down the line. But in terms of, I think it's one of those things you end up doing so much of it that you kind of try to find avenues to uh, not do it if you can. Can see that, yeah. So, like, I use this program called Things. Okay. Yeah, and it so it syncs to your your laptop, your phone, and iPad if you happen to have that kind of stuff. But so all these are folders, and within these folders, I have like stuff. Like, oh, here's some interesting dialogue, so I write it down. You know, mm. like, if I just hear something or think of something. Story. If I have a story idea, I just bank ideas. Like, oh, here's a story, and I'll just keep throwing ideas into that into that thing. Or right just rando stuff or just character names i mean because like i don't know if you're an inveterate band namer like oh that'd be a great name for a band which i am um <laughs> it, it's no na 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 names are actually they're the bane of my existence in all forms like i just yeah. titles character names place names it's just it's the worst so it's I, I i envy that ability yeah i so i just i so i'm always i'm always like it's I, I think I have like one of those ears. It's always saying like, I hear a word. And I'm like, oh, that word. And then they, I try to hear that word in a different angle so I can now apply it to something else. I think it's right. it's it's like my background in design and copywriting. So I have this mm -hmm. sort of like, how do I turn this or twist this to make it into something? So I feel that that's kind of how the the naming process works. Also, mm -hmm. like, I'll hear something like, oh, that's really interesting. Let me you know just throw that into the name bucket. Um, yeah, but you know, I everyone, every, I have my own weaknesses. Maybe, maybe names isn't one of them, but there are plenty of others. And out, out of curiosity, how much? Because most of the stuff I throw into these docs, you know, it never gets oh, even yeah. looked at again. Like, yeah, does does much of yours make it into? Um, so I, I if I find myself in a stalemate in some part of my story, mm -hmm. I'll go through these folders and I'll just start looking through things and see something that might go like because it's like i guess it's like a musician they're like oh hey like listening to little like hey i played this little bit of my guitar they record it and they go oh that might be a real good fill or whatever the thing is so it's like one of those kinds of things and they may not make it over there but they might just be a a springboard to get that next idea going yeah. um how do you i mean that so that uh, this is good how do you handle that static period like when you're writing do you have a process like when you're finishing up for the day to make sure that you're going to be somewhere you're going to be eager tomorrow or do you have other techniques um again it kind of it's it's like i kind of try and implement techniques and then inevitably you know you go through periods of being good i find having with comics particularly having like a set number of pages is hmm very useful just for kind of and also trying to work um ha ha like literally on a piece of paper having the amount of pages in an issue or something and crossing them off as i go because otherwise it's very easy for me to kind of end up one just never kind of reaching a point where in my head a page is finished yep and then ending the day where i feel i've done nothing right um which is also a frustration one because i yeah i think 
one of one of the helpful things actually about comics i find this plus other types of writing is that it's very it's quite easy to actually break it down into like progress because mm-hmm. you've got that page by page panel by panel thing um so that yeah i suppose if that would be the kind of thing i do yeah so when you when you sort of like you get your teeth into a story like hey i really want to make this a thing whatever the mm. thing might be like how do you start it off because like i'm working with a couple of people right now helping them edit uh, their their books and you know mm. and they're they have been doing these things for years but they don't seem to have a real sort of codified story you know like they right. I, they have this sort of like vague sort of progress that they're that they're going for and they're like oh, i'm gonna make it you know nine issues or 12 issues whatever the number is and i like and for me like i need to know like where i'm traveling to like i need to have that sort of that world do you like sit down and go okay well I have an idea like are do you write like a quick like paragraph kind of synopsis to say okay what's the story idea what is the whole kind of thing just to kind of give it some sort of like seed and then start building on that um i I'm trying to think i think i would typically do a lot of prep work ahead of time and i think maybe partly because that's like i i will outline very very heavily so i think i'm i try to do it as much of the work beforehand as i can i suppose yeah um but yeah that's uh, that's interesting about the people who are saying about like that they're just like this, this would be nine issues or whatever because i'm i think i i think it's probably very useful to give yourself that kind of restriction in a way but i don't think my brain initially goes there unless it's like a work for hire thing sure. where you know an editor has said it has to be six issues or whatever sure. right. um, Come on, what about seven yeah why not seven's a great number um yeah yeah no i, th- I think it's, it's an interesting one when you're coming up with your own stuff is that you almost have to kind of create those restrictions for yourself yeah. as much as you can. I think, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think, you know, when you're young, you hear the idea, the, the term restriction, and you see that as a negative, you know, like mm. it's, a, it's an instant, like sort of like, don't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm a creative person kind of stuff. Yeah. But like when you get sort of into the process and I think comics is really one of the ultimate examples of it is that there is such a restrictive structure to comics that doesn't exist in almost every other medium save television um Mm -hmm. you know the the, these the page doesn't change shape you know like the, the the page count really doesn't change like these are the things that like are sort of like in stone and you go okay so then you have this sort of ability and it's like you know it's what like i think sparks the joy in many graphic designers is that you have this limitation and that limitation is where you start coming up with these solutions that really surprise you know you because you go oh wow okay yeah yeah no i i I told i definitely i completely know what you mean about that kind of like you just go into problem solving mode because mm-hmm. um, it's you've got this finite amount of space and you've got you know well sometimes you find out you've got far too much story for a particular issue yeah. or something um and then yeah you just have to figure out how you're going to fit it and that breeds very interesting solutions sometimes yeah do you now i mean we really haven't gone into sort of the the the, the, the rory story um but like were you doing your own things previously to working with an editor or like, have you had like great sort of like learnings with an editor? Like what was, did you, did that happen with you? So when, so I, if you go back to say 20 or 2014, say I started doing a thing uh, where for like about a year or so I would put out a, I'd write a short, say between five and 10 pages and get an artist to, draw it and like put it online um and that was kind of one of the first uh that 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 helped me very much in terms of figuring out making sure i actually finished things and Mm -hmm. starting with shorts i think then the reason i bring that up is because that kind of helped me get into 2000 ad and that was probably 
Matt Smith, who writes or is the editor there, is probably one of the first editors I would have worked with in any significant way. And he is great. Like, I mean, he's incredibly brutal um, as an editor. He will rip you to pieces, but like, you learn so much from that. Um, right. And I think definitely, even with like Heather Antos now on Time Before Time, I think just having someone who will push back with push back to you. Well, it's, it's an interesting one actually, because with work for hire stuff, you're kind of, at the end of the day, you have to do what they say because they're yeah. the editor. Sure. Um, but when it's your own stuff, it's just, I think very useful to have an editor who will just kind of push back on what you're suggesting. And yeah. just to kind of make you work that a little bit harder and see, is this the best way of doing it? Could I do something different? Um, so yeah, I mean, if, I'd encourage anyone and everyone, no matter how great they think they are, to work with an editor if they can. I I, I, fir I firmly agree. I think the the more you can put your work out to people of you know sort of note whatever mm. the note is before it is a polished thing because it like you know first off it allows you to go it allows you to shed the whole it's got to be perfect sort of element. Yeah. Because you're just like, hey, listen, here's the story. And then it's like, all right, this is cool, but I don't understand this. You have this chunk in here and it doesn't make sense to the rest of the whole thing. And yeah, blah, blah, blah. And that's like when you go, okay, either I have to clarify that or ditch it, you know, like it's, but it allows you to do that kind of heavy lifting with the lightest amount of touch, you know? Yeah. Cause I've, I've done, I would, I've gotten into what I would describe as a quagmire, which I, feel is what happens if you try you get into that point and you're no one else is looking at this and you're trying to be both writer and editor which mm -hmm. you you know you have to do some editorial work on your own stuff but you do reach a point where you kind of lose any objectivity and maybe yeah. you can you can solve those problems eventually with time and whatever but it'll take you so much longer to get sure. it done like and identifying the the, the the problems that's that that might be the hardest thing because you might not recognize because the story is in your head yeah. so if you're not like it there because you know, there is a distinction between drawing the story and then writing the story because the artist if they don't like you can see it on page like when i first started like you know writing prose yeah. it was a real struggle for me because I, you know, the idea of a drawing was I can tell whether it's right or wrong just by staring at my drawing. I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, like I got to fix this. So that was an easy sort of solution, you know, sort of pathway, whether you could actually achieve it. That's a different story. But um, but when it came to like prose, like seeing an entire story in your head. Is very hard, especially if you're like you know, a discovery writer. So you're just kind of like, la-di-da, la-di-da-da-da. And the next yeah. thing you know, you're like, I've got like 150,000 words. And like, I think I've got a story here, you know, like it's, it, it's tough. Um, so, but, and I mean, I, but once again, the structure of comics does make it a slightly bitter, uh, yeah. better thing for that fact. Um, so, so you were, so you were kind of put your own thing out there. Um, were you were you just like sort of in an inveterate like I gotta I gotta create something or was it like, hey I think I can like make a go of this but I need to like show I can make a go of this. Yeah, I think it was well probably a bit of both, but I think you know it's just from you go around to conventions and stuff and ask people like how do you get work in right. comics and the the classic you gotta, always, you gotta make comics you gotta make comics yeah so like with those comics I put out online every you know say i did it for a year i kind of put every six months i'd print up a couple of them um I'd, I'd print up say like six in one thing and kind of hand them out as portfolio pieces or something um and you know i mean it didn't directly lead to any work but i think it was a great way again kind of teaching me that discipline i mean right writing in comics you know all no one's going to give you a job all you, you have to just put stuff out there and hope people respond to it like yeah yeah um, and if you don't draw you just gotta get some other job get some money and pay an artist because otherwise you're never gonna get anything out there no it's so true and, and, and you're so you're so sort of in you know in that company you know i mean i, I mean every writer i talk with i mean that's really the, the the key it's like well i 
just had to do these things on my own and yeah. you know and then you know just keep showing more and more and more so when you show up three four years in a row to some some editor or an artist or a writer and they go oh you haven't stopped like yeah. okay so let's let's talk you know you are still here like a burn just <laughs> yeah and it's like it, it's funny because like for me my pathway was a little bit different mm. uh because i i was in art college in new york city designing my life to be a you know a comic book artist and i was really fortunate and got hired right away at marvel like mm. okay cool graduated from school got an assignment and then it was and I was like, okay, cool. When do I start? And the editor was like, it's not, we haven't even written it yet. And yeah. I was like, uh, oh, okay. So, and I, this was an early Dan slot work. So Dan was the return. He was the return. Was it, he was the art return editor. Editor. Right. Um, but, you know, he, he put, he put artwork in envelopes and, ma and mailed it back to people. Yeah. Um, so Dan, Dan is a great guy and he's super collaborative. Like he was like right off the bat, like we went out to lunches, we had a really good, you know, working up our, you know, <laughs> our eight page story, like, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. But I had no work, you know, like that was all on my own buck. So I, um, but nobody would give me work because I hadn't proven myself, even though like I've been hired, I yeah. hadn't proven myself. And so no one was gonna take that risk. So I went into an editor's office and she's like, I don't have any work for you. And I said, ugh. And I turned around and I said, I said, well, what if I wrote a story for you? And she's like, well, it has to be really good. And I said, all right, well, that's cool. I'm like, but if I wrote it and it's good, can I draw it? Yeah. And she's just like, well, yeah, but it has to be good. I said, okay, fine, fine, fine. And I'm like, could I color it too? You know, like I, I just was asking like for everything that I could yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Project. And, but she just kept saying, yeah, but it has to be good. So I wrote it, came back and that was actually my first work was writing. It wasn't, mm. it, it wasn't drawing. It was getting paid to be a writer. Um, although my scripting was horrible and Dan Slott actually ended up scripting my story. So, um, and what, what was the story for? It was for what the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was the Clinton era of yeah so it was clinton era and i had basically the government cutting back on shield's budget so they turned Gosh. the helicarrier they turned the helicarrier into uh an amusement park so that was a sort of <laughs> that, was the, the, that was the premise and aim and hydra um agents were infiltrating dressed as um you know families going to disney world so that was the that was the conceit um and dan made it funny so <laughs> good premise you know i like that yeah yeah so but but it was just one of the but that was the thing like for me like every time i would try to do submissions for artwork i never used anybody else's script i would say write my own story because i'm like well i, I i'm gonna write the thing that's gonna make my work look the best versus you know but i what i should have done is also handed the typed up script for that thing so they would be like oh okay you can do this too but i wasn't yeah. <laughs> i was i was too fixated on one one aspect of the business um so 2080 now that's like that's like a freaking amazing publication to be involved with mm. I, I mean so 2080 has this sort of like full-on rock and roll thing here in the states like that is like the you know the alternative rock scene of comics you know yeah. that, that we don't have in this country mm. so when we were exposed to that in the 80s we're like this is the most amazing thing <clears throat> so what is the like what is the per, what is the perception of 2000 AD like from your point of view like when you were getting you know to work with it then? oh i mean when like i got into it it was huge like because i mean i suppose historically it's been such a stepping stone for so many people and like kind of you know within the uk it's probably like the top comic you could be working on okay um, and there's so many previously great people who've come out who've worked on it yeah. and continue to work on it that it was very for me it was very much of like okay you can do this like not not everyone gets to work on this comic yeah. so like um it was definitely very kind of validating in that way what were you like what did you like what did you initially feel were your challenges like i mean 
it, because when you're kind of doing something on your own, you create your own process and your own sort of like training scars, like all the, all the, your, your bad habits and good habits, like you don't know you're doing them. So like, did you like go, Oh, Whoa, Whoa. Like any of that. And do you mean when it went from doing my own stuff to, yeah. Yeah. um, I would say interestingly, cause most of the stuff I started on was, um, like future shots, which would be these four page sci-fi stories with the twist in the tail. And obviously that requires very compressed storytelling. But what I discovered was that the storytelling I'd actually been doing up until that point was even more compressed. So I had to kind of take the foot off the compression dial ever so slightly. Um, I think I, I think in some ways the types of stories I've been doing up until that point were kind of tailor-made for 2018. Um, and I think one of the problems maybe is that I kind of got my brain locked into that type of formula mm -hmm. of short story that kind of hinges on a twist and that kind of made me neglect other areas, I suppose. Gotcha. You're like, hey, he, like, well, I guess, I mean, using, you know, Phil as an example, like, you know, M. Night Shyamalan, um, you know, he like, he a little bit, yeah. it's such a great twist in his first film that like, he just kept trying to come up with another twist that was yeah. as sort of powerful, but, you know, it just never, it, they never landed to the same degree. Um, yeah. yeah. We're our own, we're our own worst enemies, aren't we? Well, I, the thing is, as well, it's one of those things where, like, I love twists and storytelling. So you're just kind of you're yeah. just doing that thing that you want as well. And but uh, yeah, you do have to you have to do all the other stuff as well. Well, yeah, because uh, there's no there's no there's no story. You know, yeah, like, like like you need to have a story, and the stories, and even if you have a story, if you don't have a good character, then there's no the, the story is worthless. Like yeah. you know, it, it's it's all very you know, hand in hand. And then of course the ending of course is the most important part because you know, that's when the Ukrainian or the Romanian judges are standing there with those cards ready to put the low numbers up. So you gotta be careful. <laughs> um, so what, like, so what were you doing? I mean, I, I'm assuming that the, you weren't doing enough of the 2080s to, you know, pay for that mansion you were living in. So like how, like what were you doing like for that for that part of it were you writing for other clients like yeah i would have been doing a uh, bits and pieces on comics but mainly i would have been doing kind of uh copywriting and kind of writing for financial this financial magazine in london okay um, so it's and there was yeah kind of a lot of freelance copywriting and editorial stuff would be the main would have been the bread and butter at that time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I, you know, I think I, I think that kind of stuff is super helpful. Any of that sort of external stuff where you're still applying the skill sets that you of your of your dream business. Yeah. Um, and then you go, oh, okay, because you learn like, you know, don't bury the lead. You know, <laughs> like yeah. you know, like when you have when you talk to young comic creators and they're like. They're like, oh yeah, no, this is a slow burn. I'm like, no, 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 don't make a slow burn. Like, yeah, yeah. like your slow burn is is many, many years ahead of you. Do the do the, get people in early. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think as well, it's uh, again, it teaches you to finish stuff, not be too precious. Yeah. Um, get feedback, all all good things, and I think also just gets. I mean, it's helpful even from a point of view of just learning about different subjects that are not comics because i think that's another thing mm -hmm. sometimes you find with comic writers is that it's a little bit incestuous it's just kind of you know people writing about the stuff they've always loved and like not yeah. bringing any other elements to it like yeah and i think i mean and it's not to say that that's like terrible because so many of our classic sort of comic runs are mm -hmm. you know the the birth you know the, the sort of the the birth process of that but like it has been sort of the thing from that first generation of these the sort of the late 70s creators early 80s where they were looking back at the comics that blew their minds back in the late 60s or early 70s and then you know came through with these revolutionary approaches to comic books and mm -hmm. we're like okay this is great and then like 
you know, the, the Gen X generation came in and were like, that's the model. And like, so we did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've been mining that sort of that territory for a long time. And it's not to say that there hasn't been original stuff. There's been far more original stuff than the, the sort of the, 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 you know, I'm blanking on the word, but it doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, and, and it's, it's fun because like, I have a strong theory about like, we all, t we all sort of, peak interest stops at 12 years old. Like whatever we're like super into by the age of 12, mm. we'll always be into whatever that is. And that's going to like carry on for our, for the entirety of our life going, Oh, I still love this, you know, mm. whatever that thing is. So, which makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. I think it's, yeah, it's just that thing of making sure you're putting all this stuff in the, in the pot as well. Yes. Well, that's, I mean, like the adage of like, you know, so many like you know, with artists, you know, don't, don't look at other comic book artists to be the inspiration for your comic book art because yeah. it'll be derivative regardless, you know, in, yeah. that, in that sense. And there's nothing wrong with being inspired by other people, but go be inspired by as many things as you possibly can. And, you know, once again, that, that, that sort of that immediate read of artwork is that it's much easier to pick up on those things than it would be you know, in, you know, in a comic book story where you'd have to read the whole thing, you know what, this structure really reminds me yeah, of yeah, yeah. Starlin from 1977. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, what, are, where do you find, like, where do you find your greatest form of inspiration? Um, oh God, no, that's a deep one. You better answer this right. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, Jesus. If, yeah, Jesus. Uh, I think probably from I think I get a lot actually well this is one of the things being in London like there's a lot of theatre that I go to and I find that um a huge source of inspiration yeah just in terms of the what can be achieved yeah it's like other I mean comics for sure but I think there's a lot of theatre and film that would kind of go into the pot yeah um and just listening to people chat it's so it's like it's such a freebie isn't it like it's so great you're like oh like i remember hearing that legendary you know you know quentin tarantino used to go like hang out at the bar and just listen to people talk and like write down the dialogue and i'm like yeah like that makes sense like people will say the most ridiculous things i would sit there i have notebooks filled with what people would say because i would be you know you'd be in the line for a week what we call the department of motor vehicles here where you're getting oh yeah yeah like I wrote down so many just nutty things that people are just talking because they're just. Positive. And would you write at the time, or would you wait until uh, you got back later? Oh, I would write at the time. Yeah. All right. Did, did you ever get caught? No, no, because I would just turn my back and just you know write it down. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, it's like one of my favorite books, um, nonfiction books, is called Blue Highways by William Least Heat Moon. And it was done in 1981. Mm. And he's this guy who, you know, his 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 marriage broke up. So he bought a Ford Econoline van like that had like a sort of a sleeper cabinet and mm. around the country. And his, inter his interactions are just brilliant. But I'm, I'm, I'm like, how do these people remember the dialogue? Like, it's so... Yeah. It's so amazing because it's not the same people talking. It's a, it's people all around this giant country. So you can really hear the difference in language. And I'm like, I think it's a magical skill. Like I think certain people that have that ear and will remember like, in, like, you know, uh, reporters just have the ear for conversation. They, they can remember what happened. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you read out? Do you, do you read outside of like, like, uh, do you read novels? Do you read nonfiction? Like, what is your? Yeah, no, I, I read quite a bit. I think I, I probably read more nonfiction than novels these days. Yeah, um, and a lot of a lot of podcasts as well. Actually, I think yeah. again, there's a certain bit of like not wanting to or wanting to try and not be using my eyes all the time <laughs> because. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, so much of this is either staring at a screen or a notebook or whatever that it's it, kind of nice to. It is. It is. It really hurts. Like it does hurt. Yeah. By, the, by the afternoon, you're like, God, just please no. Like it's like, can I just go work in the yard or go walk in the woods? Like yeah, yeah. some manual labor, please, just a little bit of. Uh... 
Well, I just did a whole week of manual labor, and I gotta say, it's not fun. I no, I know. As, as soon as you start doing it, you realize it's not so bad sitting. And uh, what, yeah. what what type of manual labor was it? Well, so we had a, we had a, um, a client of mine um, finally landed a great project they had been working on for years with a Universal Music Group. Um, they were just basically creating sort of what's I mean, they're called Instagram museums or their activations, like interactive events. Uh, their client uh, is Carrie Underwood. She's part of the label. All right. So she was launching a new album. So and doing a live stream with Amazon she did last week. So they needed like they were like, so they were like, this is the time to do it. So we designed up six different sort of themed things for people to go up and push a kiosk button and get their picture taken you know it's great fantastic i love it but um yeah so i just i had to design the whole thing and sell it through and then i was told hey you're gonna have to actually go and oversee this thing and that also means oh, you wow. need to help build it i'm like i don't want to build this thing so um yeah. but it, it it went off smashingly and everyone's very happy um you know i unfortunately got sick in the process yeah. so i'm not thrilled by that so I, i'm gonna lose two weeks as a result so yeah. so sucks yeah i get the well, right huh that's <laughs> true you, you do get to yeah yeah it's, it's funny yeah i i think i'd be the same i wouldn't be like oh i can relax and watch shows or something it's like no i can i can work i don't have to talk to anyone brilliant yeah um, yeah, I mean the, the the toughest part is obviously I, I live in my home with my wife, so she's mm -hmm. gonna have to be. I'm gonna be in the guest room, and she'll be in the, our room, and we'll I'll just have to be masked up and careful for. Yeah. So, eh, sucks, but you know I don't feel terrible. I just feel a little under the weather. So fingers crossed. Yeah, I had it. I had it around start of January, and it was it was fine to be honest. You know, I just kind of had a bit of a head cold for one day, but yeah, it's kind of what. Uh, it feels like. I think a few nights of good sleep and I think I'll be feeling much better. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so you work, so yeah, you worked, so you worked with deck. So how did that all yes. come together for you? Like let, let, let's, let's rip the veneer off and tell the truth after he lied to us. Yeah. And uh, you know how it was all his idea and how he's the, the genius behind the whole thing. Yeah. Let's get the real truth. Liar, liar and a charlatan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So deck I've known for, quite a while i'm trying to i can't remember when i first met him but like i think we kind of properly started to get to know each other maybe around 2015 2016 which would have been around the time i would have been handing out those kind of uh, yeah portfolios and stuff um at conventions and stuff and he foolishly was one of the people who like took one read it and actually oh, uh, responded suck um yeah he'll uh he'll regret that <laughs> but so we would have kept in touch then for a couple of years after and like just as I was working for 2000 AD and then I think it was maybe 2018 he suggested that we possibly would do a pitch together and um, because he was looking to do a bit more writing and he was you know had been I'd been lamenting kind of the difficulty of breaking into the US market so he suggested we work on this together to kind of and um, help both of us at the same time smart super yeah smart. so yeah it's funny because it, it like i don't think obviously time for time didn't come out until 2021 yeah um which yeah first trade is there we so we've been talking about it for ages and it was i think you might have said on this that part of the reason why there was such the long gestation period was that there was another artist who was originally attached before yes joe and we were kind of waiting to see what happened there but it was, yeah, it's been like co-writing with Deck has been my first time ever co-writing with anyone, really. Okay. So I can't really tell you if it's good or bad because it's the only one I have as reference. <laughs> sure. Um, How was dating your first girlfriend? I think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she did break up with me. So. Yeah. Well, we haven't broken up. Me, me and Deck haven't broken up yet, but give it time, I'm sure. All right. Once, once uh, time for time, still will never speak again. <laughs> right like Simon uh, uncle yeah exactly um, oh, Gallagher brothers is that better uh oh wow that sounds like a lot more of a contentious breakup how yeah. bad was the, the Simon and Garfunkel one 
Yeah, well, I mean, in history will be much kinder on Simon and Garfunkel. So I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. And yeah, hopefully we don't go the way of the Gallagher brothers. That would be <laughs> awkward. Um, but so yeah, so like I think I'm trying to remember how it the the exact nuts and bolts of it, but it was kind of I I'd originally come to him with kind of a big mad sci-fi time travel idea. And then he, I kind of got the impression he wasn't really into it. So we kind of dialed it back. Or no, I, I then came to him with, because we were both into crime stories. Yeah. I kind of wanted to go for more of a lo-fi sci-fi tale, um, which ended up coming time before time. And then the way we kind of typically work is that I think we kind of realized early on that doing every doing it totally 50-50 was never really going to work, that there had to be someone kind of steering the ship. And that because at the time, Deck had a much busier career, it made sense for it to be me because I could kind of devote a bit more attention to it. So like, what will typically happen with an arc is that I'll we'll both have a conversation just about the kind of general beats of it. I'll go off and write an outline, then he'll give some notes, uh, I'll incorporate those. We'll then present it to Heather, our editor. She'll give some notes, and then we'll move forward into scripting. Um, I'll kind of, again, be kind of doing most of what Deck will call the grunt work, um, and he, he'll do his scenes and stuff, and then kind of I'll stitch it all together. We'll both go over it, show it to Heather. She'll tear it apart and make it much better, and then... <laughs> Um, we ship it off to whoever's drawing that particular issue. But right. it's uh, it's been it's been interesting. It's been one of the. I think we were talking before that uh, there there have been times it's been really beneficial because obviously having head, Heather as an editor is really useful, and um, like it's it's great to have. There's times it's great to have multiple brains, and then there's other times that you kind of end up in a kind of a committee thing where you're trying to just reach consensus on something. But sure. it's it's no, it's been it's been a really interesting. It's been my first thing of like a long form series of this length as well. So it's yeah. been great to be doing that with someone who's got more experience, like yep. within the publishing industry. Right, and I mean, it, I mean, it's got to be his longest, you know, writing, you know, work as well. So he's, you know, sort of involved with this whole thing. So I mean, you guys really are getting. I mean, it's probably the longest thing you've written as well. Oh yeah, unquestionably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so like, I, I think that's like one of the the dreams is if you can get a project where you can kind of keep working on a project for, you know, a yeah. long period, you really get a lot of learnings. I think, yeah, and I think that's one of the, particularly with some, well, I suppose with most creator-owned things, not specifically image, but I think that's the interesting thing is that like, you have to plan for so many eventualities. Like yeah. you have to be going into it with a series that like has both the, the potential to be a long series, but also has to tell a satisfying enough story that if it wraps up after one volume, right. it's still a good experience. Um, and it's been really interesting as we've gone along. Like we've had, we've had the ending in mind for quite a while, but you kind of have to build these back doors for yourself every now and then just to make yep. sure you don't uh, totally get cancelled abruptly. Like totally. Yeah, because you like because you because you never know. I mean, it's like I mean, it's like a television sitcom, you know, in the states or television series. It's like, oh, yeah. it's like we only did fourteen episodes. It's like, oh, that's a shame, you know. So, in and out. Um, and so, like, but like, uh, blah, 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 by the way, the the new art is looking great, also in the series. Um, yeah, this is a cover for issue fourteen, which is yeah. uh, will be out in July. Yeah. It's cool. I love the. I love the. Uh, this is very cool. Yeah, that's the. It's a kind of a because it's a two. The, that this volume is starting with a, a two part story. Uh, so we got a kind of a connecting cover variant by Vlad Agostiev. I hope I haven't butchered his name. Who's uh, a really <laughs> talented artist. Um, and yeah, just I think it looks fantastic. It does look fantastic. It's very. I I like connected covers. Um, I think they they bring a lot to to a comic book. Like it's yeah. just, if not anything, makes you forces you to collect both 
or well, I mean, can't can't deny that that was uh, wasn't a part of the equation as well. Yeah. So what? So what's like? What's the story about behind this? Um, write it in blood, because this is you working with Joe. Yeah. Um. So, sorry, Joe. No, no. I'm just. I'm curious how this all came together. So this writing blood is an interesting one. And actually, the gestation time started after time. Time before time precedes it, but obviously came out afterwards. And um, because when we were in that kind of uncertain period with that other artist. Deck suggested I uh, start developing another project as well um, and was recommending that it possibly would be a good idea to try something in a slightly different genre mm-hmm. to uh, Time for Time. Obviously, they are both crime, but one one is sci-fi crime, one isn't. Sure. Um, and Joe, Joe was an artist I'd worked with on... Uh, a couple, we, we actually broke into 2008 at the same time and did a couple of stories together. And I can't remember, I think, was it Owen Marron had been tabling near Joe or something, and he suggested him to Deck, who then suggested him to me. Um, but I, I know, I, I feel bad, because I, I think I heard him on your show previously just about the, the difficulties he had with the book. Like, I, I think his work is fantastic, but I know he... Yeah. Uh, it's it's not a style I think you would like to go back to. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely I think it sits outside of his sort of his comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he, no. he did a great job. He did a you know a brilliant job with it. Yeah, no, no. It's uh, yeah. I just feel <laughs> feel awful whenever because sometimes we'll meet up and he'll just be going on about how difficult a, a process it was for him. But I think I think you would say as well. It's it has. It helped him, if nothing else, to figure out what he likes and doesn't like. Yeah. Um, but so this book then was kind of maybe, yeah, maybe there was a degree of wanting to kind of see about writing without having the kind of a big flashy high concept of a sci-fi story as a as your protection almost, and kind of making it totally about uh, characters. But like this, this is a lot more. I would say of like a. An atmospheric character piece yeah. um, and kind of channels a lot of like I've always been a big fan of stuff like um, Fargo and kind of like I don't know if you're familiar with Martin McDonough and kind of his plays yeah, sure. and stuff like in Bruges um, so it was just kind of channeling a lot of interest in those kind of stories into this um, so we were working on this for quite a while um, and it actually kind of crossed over. We were still waiting to hear back from Image when the pandemic kicked in. So at that point, we kind of concluded that there were probably weren't going to be getting back to us for quite a while. So we ended up releasing it on Gumroad initially um, during the pandemic and following up when things kind of got slightly more back to normal. They uh, agreed to publish it as a collection to kind of help not help but i suppose kind of it was a good way having it come out around the same time as time before time kind of both books kind of helped each other in that regard right yeah it's good i mean it, it, it i mean fortuitous timing but unintended uh schedule yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean it, it's it's i mean everything that i read from this was just just you know sort of that riveting you know thing and i i mean i think in bruges is a really wonderful uh sort of inspirational sort of touchstone to say call out because that's that that film is just wonderful um yeah no it's it's one of my favorite films it's just yeah when we went we went to when we went to the cinema to watch that we were just like okay can we have more of this this is just it was was so 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 on point so um so what what else i mean what are what do you i mean how much longer are we i think i asked deck i don't remember what the number was but for time before time how far out are you guys going with this and um, we've got a few more volumes in to come. Uh, so we're on three at the moment. We're writing four, and there will probably be there'll be there'll be one more arc of the main story. And um, after that, so about five in total. That's great. Um, but it's yeah, no, it's it's really great that we're kind of being able to. We're not having to cut it short or anything. That's great. It, it, yeah. The story, the story is wonderful. I mean, if anybody who is watching or listening has not, you know, checked it out, they 
absolutely should because it's just it's a really really interesting spin on time travel it's a mm. great story the characters are really good so i, I you know we're, we're all big fans of it over here so um yeah so yeah more do it all um so are you spinning up more uh creator owned stuff or are you looking for cross stuff to work with you know any of the, the bigger publishers are you trying to do the back and forth well i'm uh i'm writing spawn for uh Right, Todd McFarland Productions right. at the moment, so that's uh, that's been a very interesting experience working on that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, and I mean I work developing a couple of uh, creator-owned things at the moment, but it's kind of it's always juggling plates, isn't it? You kind of have to, uh, but it's it's been great to both because creator-owned and work like work for hire stuff. There's such it's exercising such different muscles and it's great to kind of be able to do both at the same time because I think if you were doing too much of one or the other, you kind of, certain parts of you would start to atrophy a bit. I think, I mean, I, I say it often, but I think it is a golden point in time for comic book creators that they're able to, like the industry is cool with you doing big big two publishing stuff but also and i say big two that does not just you know say the two the two big two but and then also doing independent stuff so like if you're doing creator owned and then you're doing your own thing like everybody seems to be very comfortable with this back and forth you know creative process which i think is is the result why we're getting so many great you know comics now like it's not just this you know, oh, we're getting, we get, we got another good run on Daredevil. Yay. You know what I mean? Like we're yeah, getting, yeah. getting a lot of good stuff all over the place. And I think like you're saying that atrophy factor is less prevalent because of this. Um, yeah. No, and I think because like there are so many more avenues you're also getting, like people are doing, you know, if someone's working on a Daredevil book, it's typically because they really want to be on a Daredevil book yeah, and that, sure. like, rather than, they desperately need a paycheck, um, which you know probably happened quite a bit in the past. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure it happens to some degree now still. Like, but it's uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely. I mean, I obviously I've only been in the industry for a certain amount of time, but it seems like there's a lot more awareness amongst people about kind of thinking of the longevity of their careers and kind of making sure that they have. Because, well, the other thing is that you kind of have to work. You have to invest in yourself a bit. Like, Deck is always big on this, that, like, you know, working on big two properties and stuff is great. And, like, you know, people do tremendous work on that. But at the end of the day, you don't own that stuff. And right. you have to kind of also make sure you're looking out for yourself and not just kind of uh, getting too dependent because one day it might not be there. Yeah. It won't. It's not even a case of it. It might not. It won't. Like someone else would come along. And yeah, I ran it. So I ran into somebody this last week who, a security person, yeah. at, at the at the at this event that I was um, working on, and he, so we're talking, and he's, oh yeah, I, I used to work in the Secret Service. I'm like, oh okay. I'm like, that's interesting. I branded a company years ago, named them and branded them that had some people who were in the Secret Service. Well, it turns out that's the company he is the vice president of now. Like the person who I worked for hired him however many years ago to do, you know, to take this role. And it's like, that's that small of a thing. And he was just making a joke as we were saying our goodbyes. He's like, he's like, well, I'll talk to him about seeing about uh, maybe you getting a, uh, um, a royalty, you know, because like the yeah. company is just huge now and they're making so much, you know, money on what they do. Mm. And, um, and like, you know, but that's not how it works. Like, yeah. you know, the, the, the work for hire world is you do the job and you get paid and you move on. So, um, but when you create the, we create these things that are your own, they're the things that will, you know, they'll go out there and they'll, they'll work for you and yeah. they, they'll always be there for you. So, um, I think it's, I think it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I can't, I can't wait to, um, see how you guys land the dismount with your book. Um, no. Well, yeah, ho hopefully we'll uh, live up to expectations. It's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, there's some, there's some fun stuff coming up. That's good. That's good. 
All right. Well, we're gonna cut. We're gonna cut it here because you have things to do. You're a very busy man. You're in the big city of London town. Yeah. So um, I'm sure you have a, a crime to solve or something to do. Um, yeah, or a crunch to miss. Who knows? You know. Nice. But that's probably a better way to get more material. That's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. So wait, I have to push the button. Hold on a second. All right. Hey, there I go. This is the official thing so people know. Hey, Rory, thanks for joining us, my friend. Um, it was really a pleasure to talk with you. Um, you can find Rory at Rory McConville 2 Dose on Twitter. He's are you not you're are you you're not that busy of a Twitterer, are you? Uh not hugely, no. I mean most of my time is spent trying not to be honest, but I get you. I, I fail. Get you. I fail. I know. Well, it's easy to get caught up. Well, I'm also trying to find Roy McConville one. And yeah, well, original we'll, Roy McConville. We can find that guy. We yeah, can, we can we can take care of him. So, um, yeah, find him, follow him, tweet with him. He's a good person. Um, good luck, man. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Cheers, Alex. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.